It is almost two minutes past 2 p.m. Stay tuned for Trauma Code coming up. Stay tuned. Trauma Code to New York City, Trauma Code to WBAI. I am Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, a Brooklyn trauma surgeon and surgical intensivist. And I am Dr. Cassandra Raphael, an adult and child psychiatrist. Welcome to Trauma Code. Together we will focus on healing of mind, body, and community from trauma. We'll discuss how wellness fits into the culture at large. Join us on Monday at 2 p.m. on WBAI. Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald in studio for Monday, April 17th uh, on WBAI in New York City. Excuse me a moment. I just ran up two flights of stairs to get here on time. But uh, that music, uh, you may recognize uh, the song Bio. I think 2018 was the year release by, uh, I'm going to mispronounce it, uh, Michael Brunn, Michael Brunn, as it looks like on paper, uh, uh, along with some special guests like Jay Perry. Uh, and, you know, we're big fans on the show of that uh, whole kind of contemporary Haitian music, that bio movement. Um, and uh, the bio concert was announced as part of the summer series in New York. It's uh, been pretty warm this last week in New York City, and I think spring in New York is a beautiful thing, and that summer series of concerts in the park, in Central Park, is part of that magic of spring and summer in New York. And the tickets are on sale now for those bio uh, concerts. And I'm not uh, being paid to promote, promote that at all, but we like to bring you our cultural recommendations, and that bio show is always uh, always excellent. Uh, so I think it's in late June, I think June, or rather July, July 22nd. Um, but anyway, you're joining us now on Trauma Code, uh, and you know, uh, we often cover... Uh, the effects of gun violence in this country, uh, and there's been a lot of it recently. Uh, there was just a mass shooting at a Sweet 16 in Alabama where I think where four were killed and dozens were injured. Um, there was a second mass shooting in a week in Louisville, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, after that bank massacre, another one uh, in a park. And we know there was also that really horrific story in out of Kansas City of a child who was shot twice by a homeowner. He knocked on the wrong door looking for his, uh, I think, little brother or little cousin to pick them up. He went to the wrong house, and a person shot them 
once and then shot him again on the ground. Uh, so not to be a downer, but obviously uh, the proliferation of uh, guns in this problem continues to be uh, a problem in this country and will continue to be. Uh, and, and we talked about last week and the week before about uh, this movement in Nashville after the recent mass shooting at a school by uh, a couple of the um, state representatives uh, who uh, I think Justin Jones and uh, Justin Pearson who were expelled from their seats but put back in by their constituents uh, who said go right back out there and keep fighting for uh, you know sensible gun uh, policy um, so you know we'll see that story continues and there's new uh, kind of scandals coming out about the Republican leadership uh, in Nashville. Um, so this this not the end. We're going to hear that story, and we're going to get back onto issues of um, of health in the next couple of weeks. We'll have some shows on mental health and maternal health later on uh, in the next month or so. But today, I actually want to cover the recent events in Israel. Um, protests out of Israel against um, sort of authoritarian moves of the Netanyahu government. And, you know, some people might wonder, you know, why is this the topic for uh, this radio show? But I think, you know, the, uh, you know, I, I grew up Jewish as well as Catholic. And, you know, that 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 uh, area has as an importance as a sort of holy land in this kind of uh, where in a moment of coincidence, right, of the major monotheistic religions of Easter, Passover, and Ramadan that just overlapped. Um, and, you know, so what does that mean, uh, a movement against authoritarianism and against um, fascism, you might say, within the context of an apartheid state with ongoing sectarian violence? So we're going to have on, in a minute, uh, Jonathan Pollock, uh, one of the co-founders of, co-organizers of the anarchists uh, against the wall. Um, but before we do, I want to make a, a, take a quick uh, musical break. Let me catch my breath. Let us check all of our uh, technical connections so we uh, seamlessly uh, get to the next segment, which will be Jonathan Pollock on the protests in Israel. Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald. That was Nora Jones. Uh, don't know why uh, I never, uh, what was it? I don't know why I never come or whatever. I, that was there in case there was technical difficulty. So let's let's take a look. Uh, and correct me if I have your name wrong, Mr. Uh, Jonathan Pollock. Do we have you on the air? Uh, you do. Excellent. And the How's my pronunciation? What? Come again? How's my pronunciation? What should we call you? Oh, it's okay. Um, I mean, it's Jonathan in Hebrew, but... Jonathan is fine. It's easier for Americans, I guess. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and uh, I know you actually through a good friend of mine that if people who've listened to the podcast that I did before this radio show called Knife at the Gunfight, I had Kobe Snitz on a couple of times who was uh, a co-student of mine uh, at the University of Maryland when we were there. Um, and one of the co-founders with you of Anarchists Against the Wall, right? And had uh, done a lot of work against apartheid in the Holy Land. And he introduced me uh, to you. So first of all, welcome to the to the show in New York. You have a lot of experience um, protesting for um, peace and justice in the Holy Land. And, you know, forgive us, you know, the the recent protests in Israel and Tel Aviv and elsewhere have gotten a lot of airtime. But um, it's really hard for me to understand kind of what's been going on. Do you feel like you could tell us a little bit about 
What's been going on in the, these protests, and what's the political context uh, in which they're playing out? Okay, so first let's try and lay out the the specific background for the demonstrations uh, and or protests in general, and that is um, the election of uh, of an extreme right government um, after uh, the, like to replace the previous right wing government, um, which. Um, as part of its platform, uh, has started uh, legislate, legislating steps to weaken the judiciary. Um, now, the Israeli liberals and the so-called Israeli left uh, generally tend to see the Israeli judiciary um, both as protecting human rights um, and as protecting... Uh, that's, of course, they're not going to say it, but... Uh, as protecting um, the overprivilege of of Jews in Israel, uh, as protect as protective of Jewish supremacy, by um, providing uh, sort of like a so-called bulletproof vest uh, against international criticism, uh, because it supposedly uh, keeps the um, keeps the regime in check. Um, now that's a lie. Um, the, the Israeli courts have pretty much uh, approved any any meaningful steps that the Israeli government has ever taken. They've never intervened in um, they've never intervened against the constructions of, the construction of settlements uh, as uh, on on principle. They've intervened on specific cases, but per se, they've not said um, that settlements are illegal. Uh, that West Bank and Gaza Strip settlements are illegal according to international law. Uh, they've time and again approved the construction of settlements, the, the uprooting of Palestinians. Uh, just recently, um, they've approved the uprooting of over a thousand people uh, and their forced um, their forced uh, forced removal from an area called Musafiriyata in the south of the West Bank. Um, so, so Jonathan, then, then let me ask, you know, the, the, the government, right, the Netanyahu government, even though it's been very hard for them to put together a functional coalition, uh, the, their challenge has been from the right, correct? I mean, they've been pretty popular in terms of electoral politics and being very kind of belligerent in terms of, uh, you know, militarism and in terms of racist policies domestically. So, but why has this move against the judiciary seemed to have sparked the backlash that all of these other things that we talk about have not? So, so this the, why is a, is a good question, uh, and we can try and go into it. But the, the backlash against the move, like the, the backlash against the move on the judiciary, is from the so-called liberal camp. Uh, it's not from uh, right-wing elements within, like more right-wing elements or extreme right-wing elements uh, within Israeli society. Uh, and I think that the, we should we should pretty much view um, this movement um, as uh, as well. We could call it a family feud within the within the, the Jewish supremacy camp, uh, which is the vast majority of Israeli society of Jewish Israeli society. Um, and it is it's basically an argument on how to manage. Uh, how to manage apartheid, and not whether uh, apartheid should be should exist or be dismantled. Um, it is um, it is basically uh, the liberal, like the the so-called liberal camp within Israeli society, trying to protect uh, its privilege, both um, both in terms of privilege um, in compared to um, right like more extreme right wing elements within Israeli society and uh, vis-a-vis um, Palestinians whether they be Palestinians with Israeli uh, citizenship or Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza were subject so uh, given that kind of context what are kind of the updates? Where has, has this um, challenge gone and, and where do we see it going? Is, is Netanyahu going to be successful in kind of, you know, rewriting the judiciary and bringing it under his control? Uh, or is, is he going to have to back down off this battle? 
it's very hard to say right now. Um, there ha- like uh, the 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 protest movement is massive. It's uh, perhaps the largest demonstrations or the largest protest movement in Israel's history, uh, and it has. I mean, it it already pushed Netanyahu into some concessions. Uh, for instance, delaying uh, some of the legislation of the planned legislation. But it's very hard to say, and I think anyone guessing. Um, it's doing exactly that, just guessing uh, whether they will move on um, and continue with the legislation with some changes, significant, more significant or less significant, uh, or whether it, the, the protest movement will be able to bring it to a, to a halt. Um, a- anyone's guess is as good as mine, um, and I, because I, it's simply very hard to um, to. to to discern, um, but I think an important um, an important thing to realize about uh, this moment is that these protests concentrate are concentrated on saving Israeli democracy, quote unquote. Um, and I think what is dangerous about this uh, about this protest movement is that it um, it cements. Uh, Israel's image as a democracy, uh, and it, it hurts our ability to speak of Israel as an apartheid regime, as a colonial entity, uh, especially if they win. Um, now, I'm not saying that things are not going to get worse um, if uh, if this legislation passes on, but in fact, things are getting have been getting worse for for years and years. Um, and it's not the legislation um, per se that is going to make it worse. The legislation is a symptom. The reason that things are getting worse and worse is that Israeli society is shifting to the right further and further. Uh, and the, the new legislation is just a symptom of that. So whether it stops um, or whether it is stopped or uh, continues on, um, the fact remain that Israeli society which is already an apartheid state uh, that is already based on um, on colonial foundations um, is going is becoming more and more uh, is moving more and more in that direction. Right. And, um, and these protests at, at, the, at the, just one second at the same time uh, as this uh, as these protests have been um, carrying on, there has been um, a, 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 a new law has passed in the Knesset. With the support of the vast majority of the liberal uh, so-called left in Israel, uh, that says that the Israeli uh, that the Israeli government can withdraw uh, the citizenship of uh, of Palestinian Palestinians with Israeli citizenship uh, if they are involved or support uh, terrorism. Now, the definition of terrorism in Israel is pretty much anything the government wants. Right. And now we've seen that these protests have also happened in the context of um, not only state violence, but also kind of a mob violence, which I think is somewhat new. Um, there, people are describing what happened in the town of Hawara as a pogrom, um, using the, the language to describe um, racist mobs against uh, you know Jews in Europe. Jews in Eastern Europe. Right, before the foundation of Israel. And we've also seen that that's been well um, documented and covered in major media um, racist mob violence against uh, especially Christians in the old city of Jerusalem during the era, you know, in the period of, of Easter. Um, so, you, you know, what does um, – so that, that, that's one thing, and I think the, the big question I, I, I was coming at this was what does this protest movement against fascism mean in the era of that kind of uh, not only apartheid but, but open violence that isn't challenged by the state – um, and uh, I think you know your read on the situation that that um, that the protest movement somewhat legitimizes Israel. As you mentioned, on the other hand, if the pro- if the um, judicial uh, overhaul goes through, it'll be in a worse position, probably with less judicial protections for a large swath of the of underclass uh, in places like the old city of Jerusalem. Um, but the other question, which we haven't gotten to, that that I've heard raised. Um, is that this protest movement, this challenge of the Israeli apartheid government may open a space for a larger challenge um, to Israeli apartheid. Uh, 
Do you have any thoughts on that or, or any uh, experience on, on what's going on in this moment where there's a willingness to challenge um, the Israeli government? Okay, so the, the, it's, uh, your questions have been uh, a little bit multifaceted. So let's start with the, the beginning uh, with what happened in uh, Hawara. Uh, I would first have to say that this is nothing new. Um, this is not a new phenomenon. Uh, if you look at reports from uh, B'Tselem, like organizations like B'Tselem and Yeshtin, uh, they've been documenting, uh, as well as, of course, of, uh, Palestinian organizations like uh, Al-Haq, um, etc. They've been documenting settler attacks, uh, state-sponsored settler attacks on Palestinians uh, for decades. Um, like any other aspect of Israeli violence, uh, it has been increasing and intensifying in recent years. Um, but the um, the lynching in Hawara um, are an outlier. They're not. Uh, they're not a new phenomena. Um, I think they caught. Uh, th- they were brought into the spotlight because of this uh, internal uh, internal feud um, in inside Israel, and because they allow liberals to present the extreme right, the settlers, uh, separately from the army. Um, so. Uh, demonstrators in Tel Aviv were shouting to police, where were you in Hawara? Uh, kind of saying, how come you didn't stop it? Uh, it that misses the point that they were in Hawara uh, and the army and the settlers are, you know, separate fingers at the, in the same hand. Uh, they operate together. Um, so so that, that's, a, that's a common misunderstanding of, of, of that situation. Uh, which, which I think is is important. It's vital to understanding how the, the mechanisms of uh, of colonial violence uh, of uh, in in the in the West Bank uh, and also inside um, uh, inside forty eight inside Israel proper. Um, so the the other part of that question that I wanted to make sure we got to was, um, you know, in this moment where there's a, a a widespread willingness to challenge the moves of the government, does that open a space? to challenge apartheid uh, or open a space in support um, of Palestinians and others who have been trodden on by the government? So I I think any change or any movement um, opens opens opportunities. Uh, It opens opportunities for mobilization. It opens uh, opportunities for, um, for bringing people over uh, from, uh, for opening people's eyes. Uh, however, it also um, it also uh, brings new challenges and new risks uh, that we must be aware of. Uh, so it's a it, 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 in a way it's a, it's a bit of a double edged sword uh, that you have to be very careful uh, how you wield. And do you have any comment on on? Um anything that's coming out of this moment right now in terms of uh, collaboration across ethnic and, and kind of religious or state boundaries in that context? Uh, well, one of the very um, obvious phenomenons of this protest is that Palestinians do not part- take part in it, that Arabs do not participate. Um, neither Palestinians who have Israeli citizenship and definitely not Palestinians uh, in the West Bank who cannot could not participate, even if they would, if even if they wanted to. Uh, but these are completely Jewish. Um, uh, a, a Jewish. Uh, a, 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 this is a completely Jewish protest movement, uh, even in its radical parts that um, try and um, and um, change this protest movement and hijack it in a way um, to towards uh, in a, in a more anti-occupation, anti-apartheid, anti-colonialism. Um, direction, um, it is very much uh, based on the participation of, of Jewish members of, of these communities. Um, and a lot of that, I mean, if you look at, uh, if you look at the pictures of these demonstrations, the one most obvious things are, is the waving of Israel, of hundreds and thousands of, uh, of Israeli flags. Um, and, and that's not, that's not a coincidence. Um, that that demonstrators raise that that, that that the main symbol of this of this protest movement is the raising of the apartheid flag, mm-hmm. uh, and that 
obviously limits the place of, of Palestinians within uh, this protest movement. However, like I said, with every movement, there's both, there are both risks and opportunities. Um, and one of the opportunities is to be able to um, mobilize new people from within these demonstrations towards um, activism outside uh, this specific protest movement, um, basically use it as a, as a catalyst uh, for other sorts of activism uh, that are in support of Palestinian resistance to Israeli apartheid. And wow. <clears throat> and so if you're just joining us here uh, on Trauma Code, we have on the line uh, from Israel, I think maybe from house arrest, uh, Yonatan Pollock uh, from Tel Aviv, discussing uh, the uh, recent protests in Israel and also the context of uh, the apartheid state in which they take place. Uh, and I have to say, uh, Yonatan, you know, I've known uh, our good mutual friend Kobe since uh, about the year 2000. I think it was even, even after I met him when I stayed in touch. I was always struck by the work that he was doing. And, you know, now I know by, by reading back a lot of that work was with you. Um, Within, uh, you know, the, the the Holy Land that really was able to cross cultural, ethnic, religious, political kind of boundaries. Um, um, and, you know, there are movies about this you can tell us in our audience because um, I can't remember the title. But I know some of the more famous you, work you guys have done in the town of Berlin against uh, a wall that was going to divide, um, as I recall, a lot of the people from their farmland and, and other ways really disrupt their lives kind of really meaningful solidarity work that was done in that context. Um, first of all, can you remind us the name of, of any movie or any other um, uh, documents that, that you'd like to share with our audience about the work that you guys have done to give a context of who you are and what you bring to this um, kind of discussion? Specifically, specifically about Bil'in, uh, there's been um, two movies. Uh, the first is called Five Broken Cameras uh, by um, uh, Imad Burnat, uh, who is from Bilin. Uh, and uh, uh, the second one is called Bilin Habibdi um, by my elder brother, uh, okay. Shai Kameli Polak. I forget, uh, you're, from also, a, you're from a family uh, sort of, uh, of actors and producers uh, well connected to that sort of Israeli Hollywood, right? Uh, well, my father is a, was a theater actor uh, and my brother is a... Um, is a choreographer, a dance choreographer, and my older, my other older brother is um, uh, is, is a film director, a documentary film director. So you could say so, yeah. So that was uh, five broken cameras and uh, Bilin Habibti. Mm -hmm. And so the follow-up question about that is, um, you know, maybe that was just very unique. But um, is there any movement or moment like that uh, that really um, bringing together, you know, like you said, the protests in Tel Aviv? Are all Israeli? Uh, is there a space in, in to you know that, that grows in that tradition of of you and Kobe and others of reaching across racial, ethnic, religious, and state uh, boundaries within that Israeli context? Um, there, for the past, I don't know, uh, two decades at least, uh, there has been um, solidarity work in support of Palestinian resistance, but its founding idea has always been of um, not of doing it um, from within the thinking of Israeli society, but of joining Palestinian resistance uh, in its own terms and under its own, uh, its leadership, under Palestinian leadership. Um, so in a way, um, I think that the, the, the core idea of solidarity within the Palestinian context um, for people uh, who come from the, from the settling society, from Israeli society, um, is to um, think of ourselves not as an Israeli left, not as, um, not as part of Israeli society, but as joining Palestinian resistance uh, to Israeli apartheid. Uh, pretty much in a similar manner to how uh, radicals in South Africa joined the um, the ANC and the Pan National uh, the Pan African Congress, uh, and liberals um, were trying to moderate apartheid. Uh, so, in order to fight apartheid, um, I think it is essential 
um, to to join the Palestinian movement, the Palestinian-led movement. And you know, you're you're from Tel Aviv, as I recall, but um, it would seem to me that 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 analysis, that that um, kind of movement, is not really terribly popular in a place like Tel Aviv in Israel, right? And and we've seen the Israeli right apparently become increasingly popular, at least in terms of electoral politics. Um, do you have any kind of comment on that about how it's come to here or where we're headed uh, from this moment? So, l- like I said, no, it's it's not very popular, and Israeli society has been shifting uh, to the right uh, for a long time now, uh, and gradually more and more, um, to the degree that we now have a properly fascist government. Um, where it goes... You know, that that's hard to say. Uh, and I, I think it's also not really the question, uh, not, not, not an important question for us to ask uh, in, as, as activists. Um, I think what we should ask ourselves is always what, what we can do. Uh, and whether we succeed or not, I mean, of course, we should strategize and try and figure out what could be the best strategy. Uh, but whether we succeed or not is... Uh, is secondary uh, to to doing whatever we can to change the situation and 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 fight apartheid uh, and struggle against it um, and you know mobilize as widely as we can um, while maintaining our strategy. Um, it's like I said before with these protests specifically uh, and in this political moment, uh, it, it is still early. Uh, the, the protest movement is. Is very very strong, um, it, it very uh, mainstreamed uh, within Israeli society. Uh, all polls show that the majority of uh, Israelis support it and object the reform. Uh, but on the other hand, the government has a firm uh, electoral majority uh, even now. So it's you know any guess towards what is going to happen in the coming months is um, very speculative. And, you know, um, I, I don't know how much to say about this because I, I don't know all the details, but, right, you're someone that has your own history with the um, Israeli judiciary. Um, from what I've read, it seems like they've uh, you've been kind of prosecuted over the work you've done with uh, Kobe and others in We Berlin. can call it in and out of prison. <laughs> yeah, and... I think Kobe might have mentioned that you're on house arrest right now um, yeah. for some questionable kind of charges and things. Do you want to talk anything more about your your experience of the Israeli judiciary and how that colors your analysis? Um, so, as a as a as a short background, uh, we need to understand that the we have uh, something that even apartheid South Africa didn't have, and that's two separate systems of law uh, in the West Bank. So if I am arrested, uh, I, as an Israeli citizen, uh, am arrested in the West Bank at a demonstration together with my Palestinian comrade. Uh, And we've both done exactly the same thing or accused of having done exactly the same thing with exactly the same evidence, uh, arrested arrested together at exactly the same circumstances. I would be processed... uh, through the Israeli um, civil system, the, using the Isra- Israeli penal uh, code, while she, the Palestinian, uh, would be processed through military law um, using uh, the military decrees that govern the West Bank. Um, that means that I would, I would have to be brought before a judge within 24 hours. Uh, I am a lot more likely to be uh, released uh, released on bails uh, on bail uh, or any limited or limiting conditions. Uh, my judge would be a civilian, uh, and I'd be judge, judged according to tried according to the Israeli civilian penal code. While she, as a Palestinian, um, would only be brought before a judge after four days, ninety six hours, um, will face uh, the draconian uh, decrees of military law. Uh, which is extremely um, harsher, uh, like, ext- like much, much harsher than uh, the Israeli penal code. And her judge, both her prosecutor, the person who arrested her, her prosecutor and the judge would be soldiers in uniform. Uh, so 
the, the entire situation is completely different, uh, and her chances of uh, of making bail are extremely limited. Um, so, so, so that's the background. Um, my experience of the Israeli judicial system, even as a very privileged uh, Israeli, uh, is that it basic it is basically um, part of the system of control, uh, or part of the system of Israeli control. Um, which means that uh, whenever we whenever we're talking about um, uh, protest related uh, issues, uh, it is very um, uh, very slanted. Um, Anything else you want to say about that? Um, I, I mean it. No, I mean I think that's uh, <laughs> okay. that's pretty much. <laughs> okay, with your pending case, we'll leave it at that. Um, Anything else that you want to say about um, these protests in this moment in Israel to an American audience that we might, um, you know, might not hear on CNN or BBC even? Um, I, I think that the, the, the key, uh, the, the most important thing to remember is that whether these protests uh, succeed or fail uh, has some importance to Israeli society. But whatever the outcome is, uh, the... Um, what we need to take out of this moment, um, to take away from this moment, is that Israel is not a democracy. Whether these protests succeed or fail, Israel remains an apartheid state that uh, dispossesses Palestinians um, and and controls them. Well, um, and um, you know, definitely thank you for for um, for taking the time and and talking to us and. I wanted to have in hands, and I, I don't have in front of me the number of Palestinians and the number of Palestinian children um, killed this year and the violence as a way of, you know, putting into context the type, uh, if you had heard the way we started the show, where we look at violence uh, and particularly gun violence in the United States. But to think about a lot of these problems as a problem of gun violence um, in the Holy Land and understanding you know, how many we, you know, we're paying attention to how many American kids are killed, but also to pay attention to how many uh, Palestinian and then even Israeli children are killed as um, a consequence of armed belligerence. Uh, so I, I, I don't have these numbers uh, in that, front of me right now, um, but it's uh, um, many. I mean, there have been, this has been the bloodiest year so far uh, in over 20 years. Right. Well, um, you know, in addition to thanking you, I do like to, even though we talk about heavy topics on Trauma Code, and if you're just listening, we have on the air Yonatan Pollock, uh, one of the co-founders uh, or early organizers of the Anarchists Against the Wall uh, movement uh, against apartheid in Israel, talking to us about the um, protests and demonstrations that have been going on in Tel Aviv and elsewhere. Um, but Yonatan, to switch it up a little bit, uh, hopefully I gave you enough of a um, of a warning. Uh, I always like to ask my guests for cultural recommendation, uh, movie, music, art, uh, something a little bit different that maybe our audience wouldn't uh, be exposed to without you. Okay. Um, so just before being on house arrest, I was in jail for almost a month um, before making bail. Uh, and uh, a book I would like to recommend um, is A Manual for Cleaning Women uh, by Lucia Berlin, uh, which I thought was an amazing reading experience. A, a Manual for Cleaning Women by Lucia Berlin. Mm -hmm. We'll definitely have to add that to the list. All right, well, Yonatan, definitely thank you for taking the time uh, and joining us from house, house Arrest in Israel. Uh, and Reggie, why don't we switch on to a, a quick musical break while we move on to the next part of the show. Thanks again, Yonatan. Thank you for having me.
Welcome back to Trauma Code. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald in studio. Uh, just had on uh, Yonatan Pollock for anyone that was joining us talking about uh, the protest movement in Israel right now uh, and the whole political context about that. And, of course, if we're looking at the international stage, the other um, notable events uh, related to gun violence, like we often talk about, is the uh, the um, escalation of the coup in Sudan. I think the coup goes back to 2019. But the elements uh, within the coup that were... Um, Really, propo- uh, protagonists of the John Jaweed of the of that genocide um, years ago have now moved to consolidate their power with open gun battles uh, in the streets of Khartoum and elsewhere. So that's something uh, to keep an eye on as as that develops. And anyone in Sudan right now is in that kind of state of siege. I'm sure um, as as those forces uh, battle for control around them. Um, so it's sort of a sad uh, moment that came after the protest movement that toppled uh, what was named Bashir, um, but the military counteroffensive has kind of taken its control uh, as that continues to play out. Uh, but in any case, I wanted to thank everyone uh, for uh, joining us on the Trauma Code, um, and uh, definitely if you miss that and want to catch more of the show or you want to hear our previous episodes, you can find them on the website of WBAI, the WBAI archives, as well as anywhere where you get your podcasts under uh, the name Trauma Code. You can also find us on social media as Trauma Code WBAI is the handle, Trauma Code WBAI at gmail.com is also a way to reach us uh, directly by email as well as uh, you can reach us over the um, over the website. Uh, and I had uh, mentioned a shooting in Kansas City where uh, – uh, a young man, really a teenager, a, a child, had, had, was shot uh, for knocking on the wrong door, and I'd forgotten the guy's name. Uh, the, that young man's name is Ralph Yarl, who's now in the hospital fighting for his own life, and we'll have to keep an eye on that and how that develops. Um, but the other kind of cultural um, moment that I wanted to um, recognize uh, often, uh, you know, doing the show has made me pay close attention to the cultural moments and, and including people passing away. And I just was made aware of the passing of a really important jazz pianist, a contemporary of Miles Davis, um, Ahmad Jamal, uh, who admittedly I was not really familiar with previously, um, but he has a very um, kind of, uh, uh, you know, was a unique uh, style that was really revolutionary in a lot of jazz piano Um uh, Reggie, do you have anything else that you want to say? Uh, the passing of Ahmad Jamal. I see you touching your microphone, like you have something you want to say. Well, Ahmad Jamal, I mean, is like he is considered by many as one of the best um, composers for small uh, for small groups for like trios, and he's been uh, part of a trio of some form since the late 1950s. And um, what his what I what I like particular about the uh, compositions of Amon Jamal is that there is complexity in its simplicity, um, because essentially, again, it's usually a band consisting of maybe most likely three, sometimes four, maybe five. But it's not that many. And it's usually and, you know, he does dabble in the electronic uh, with the uh, Fender Rose and um, um, other electronic pianos, but but always the sets were always small, and out of that small set, there was so much abundance of sound that comes right. out of that. And even the way he touched the piano, right? He had kind of a mi- minimalist touch at times. Very, so very. when he touched the piano, really, really the timing of that was really um, impactful. Yeah, I, I think that um, he definitely took a page from uh, Theonius Monk. Um, he. It, it, and, you know, and just to quote Monk, it's um, he said something about it's not about what I play it's what it's not played in between. And that is something that Ahmad Jamal definitely grasped that. And I, I think that that is a really um, spectacular uh, job that he did. And, yeah, he, he did pass away. Uh, I think it was announced yesterday. He was at the age of 92 years old and he was an extremely influence and yet he is one of those jazz artists again was 
was sampled in the hip hop scene as well too. Right, that's so. right, and uh, Nas among others, right? Yeah, yeah. And so uh, before we close out on a, on a Maj Jamal song, I do want to remind you that uh, I volunteer here, but I stand on the shoulders of giants, and that tradition of WBAI can only continue if we pay the bills, if we pay for everything it takes to put us up on the air. So you can do that at give2wbai.org. Look for the donate button on wbai.org website uh, or call the pledge line at 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950. And this has been Trauma Code for April 17th. Thank you for joining us.
Good afternoon. For WPFW Washington and WBAI New York, I'm Darnia Samuels.